to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Good morning. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. It's not Vietnam. Thank God. <laughs> I was going to say that. It might, it might not be morning. That's true. It could be any time, but you know. Just a big liar. <laughs> as soon as you listen to this show, the Album Nerds podcast, it does wake you up regardless of the time of day. I'm Dude. There you go. Got Andy and Don with me. And a smooth transition back to normalcy. All right, fellas. What's up? How you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great. Don, you? Um, good. I'm good. I'm really looking forward to talking about these albums. <laughs> That is some world-class banter there. Oh, we are some professional broadcasters. All right. So, uh, as I mentioned at the top, and as the uh, creepy announcer guy told you, this is the Album Nerds Podcast. We are three guys, love the album format, love talking about albums. This is a chance for us to kind of share some stuff, chat, talk about what we love about particular records, and share it with you guys. And hope that you uh, return the favor at some point on the socials and on our Discord. But before we get into it, Andy wants to uh, tell tell these people what our process is. How do we pick these albums? Uh, yeah, we rely on fate, destiny. Some would call it luck. Maybe the luck, luck of the Irish. Sometimes the curse of the Baskervilles. <laughs> yes, it could go either way. Uh, yeah, the dude, he, uh, he gets up early in the morning and he, he hunts for a rainbow. He follows that rainbow. My God. To a pot of golds. I should uh, have led this with Andy. Why don't you bullshit us <laughs> <laughs> with some tall tale? Oh, but yes. That's a given. And tell us, tell us about this pot of gold, Andy. Well, it's got a lot of gold in it, but at the bottom of that gold, <laughs> that pot, wow. you find a band simply entitled, you too. Oh, I get it now. That was an Irish thing. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, you uh, two uh, are an Irish band from Dublin, uh, formed in, in 1976. Consists of Paul David Hewson, uh, also known as Bono. He's the, the vocalist. David Howell Evans, also known as The Edge or, or Edge, uh, the guitarist. We've got uh, Adam Charles Clayton, the, the bass player, and uh, Lawrence Joseph Mullen Jr., uh, who is the drummer. Known as Larry. Right. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're going to present three albums from uh, U2's large catalog, uh, with the exception of the, the Joshua Tree, which uh, was covered on a, on a previous episode. Uh, so we'll, we'll each present a, a U2 record, and then we've got a, a, a question of the week. Uh, we'll spin that wheel uh, again, or dig for treasure or gold, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Way to loop back. All right. <laughs> what did we choose? You. Choo choo choose me. All right, so looking through the YouTube discography, definitely more of an early YouTube fan. So I went with their third studio album, simply entitled War. What is it good for? No, just war. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. This came out back in February of 1983. Produced by Steve Lillywhite, who had also produced their two previous albums. Kind of a big part of their sound at the time. Uh, it was the band's first number one album in the UK. I think anywhere in the world. And it strongly focused on protest music, I guess. Sort of like more political in style than their previous two works. And it had some big singles. 
we are going to play one of them right now. A little taste of Sunday, Bloody Sunday. the opening cut off of the U2 album War, Sunday Bloody Sunday. Pretty great start to that record, in my opinion. Uh, maybe maybe the best track on the record. Let's see, why don't we start with just kind of everybody's background with U2. Uh, what's, how are you familiar with the band? Are you, do you consider yourself a fan? Do you have a particular time period that you enjoy more? Uh, I'll just start by saying I'm not really a huge fan fan of the band overall, though I do enjoy particular records. I think Joshua Tree is a great record. I think this is a pretty pretty good record as well. Um, what do you guys what do you guys general U2 impressions? Uh, well, I, I grew up with U2 and I've always uh, enjoyed them. Um, they've never quite been in like the the inner circle or, or something with, with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I've maybe kept them at arm's length or something, but I, I've always enjoyed them and I, I've seen them live a, a couple of times. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've always appreciated them. I loved them from the Joshua Tree. The stuff previous, I mean, I liked, I heard on the radio, but I wasn't into them. I was into them during the Joshua Tree period mm-hmm. and then kind of lost track of them after that until... Uh, a couple albums later, but yeah, I mean, I would call myself a U2 fan. I have a bunch of their records. I love the their ability to to change and and change their sound and reflect society. And you know, there's there's integrity there, and that's a big that's a big deal in a band that's been around for so long. Yeah, integrity. That's a good point. I know. That's why I said it. <laughs> <laughs> so my my uh, three words for this record would be focused. Is laser focused both musically and lyrically. Uh, urgent feels like they really wanted to get this message kind of off their chest and edgy. Ah, because uh, I actually kind of enjoyed the edge on this on this record. Not always the case. So War really saw a pretty significant shift from their two previous records, which Boy, which was really more kind of about adolescence and innocence, and the record after that, which was entitled <laughs> October. October. Thank you. It's really dealt more with like spirituality and kind of like ethereal type of topics. This album was much more directed and focused in kind of like present day matters around the globe, in particular confrontations, war. Uh, it gets very political in tone. And I kind of like that, not necessarily that it's political, but that's, it's very focused and has like a, I think lyrically and the sound are both on the same page. It has very much kind of like a, post-punk, for lack of a better term, sound to it here that you don't hear a lot of the records. Like the drumming is very just basic and clean and it's pretty upfront in the mix. You can actually hear the bass a fair amount as well. And Edge's guitar is not nearly as atmospheric or meandering, I guess, as I would say on some of the earlier records. It's much more to the point. He has some pretty good riffs in here. And I, I, you know, I give him, or I've given him a lot of flack over the years on the show, but I think uh, he really does carry this record pretty well. Yeah, I, I, I guess as a whole, I really enjoy this record. Um, what do you guys think of War in particular? I enjoy this this a lot. Their early U2, when I think about it, uh, I, I think they use they use space well. The arrangements are are pretty simple. I mean, the, the musicianship is is pretty basic, although it's it's clever. Um, but there's there's just lots of like wide open space, like the background vocals, the Sunday. Blood. It's uh, 
Um, it's distant, you know, so it's almost like they're screaming, uh, screaming from the distance or, or something. So I, I, I've always liked that. And, and you're right about it having a, you know, still that, that post punk feel, uh, which starts to disappear a little bit after this. Yeah. I, mean, I love this album. It's one of those ones I grabbed onto when, uh, in the early nineties, I kind of got back into them and had friends in college that were really into you two. And uh, War was one of those that I, of the early three, that I'd never heard in its entirety before up until that point. And I fell in love with it. I loved the intensity of it, Bono's passion and his vocals, and then those very familiar guitar pieces. And then Larry's steady drumming, as you as you uh, talked about, Andy. But you can still tell when you hear Larry's drumming on any U2 album. One cool thing about Sunday Bloody Sunday is I, I think there's no kick drum actually in it. I think it's basically just him with a with a snare or a tom or, or, or something. That's interesting. But it's got that march. It's got a march feel to it. I mean, they it I mean the cover of the album, the black and white with the kid on the cover with a cut on their face. That song sounds black and white. Like it's so clear about the ugliness of war. There's no in between. You know, it is a it's a black and white subject you know war bad peace good. Huh, good yeah they definitely come down on one side of of all these issues which i you know i, I appreciate the clarity i guess yeah why don't we play one of the songs that i guess maybe isn't as much about political song more of a more of a love song um, but it has like that very clear drum sound and i think you definitely can hear some of that that punk influence here we'll taste of two hearts because one Yeah, pretty pretty rocking little interlude there. I was uh, really impressed by by that section in particular. Yeah, I mean they get they get jamming on a few pretty you know for you too pretty hard I would say at times on this record, which I think is which is great uh, for me at least. Makes it easy easy listening. Well, I think the like to for you too hadn't been established yet. I mean they had started off as a punk band in the seventies, I believe, and I think this is they're still feeling themselves out on these early albums you know it could have gone another way yeah. maybe they could have they could have decided to go more that direction but they didn't can you imagine <laughs> i just love the the youthful energy uh, of of these early albums it, it's true of a lot of bands you know when you go through their whole career usually the there's just a sense of urgency with their their early work and it's not just about tempo you know because they still you know will have moments where they're trying to rock out but there's just often something special about uh, an artist's early work that doesn't come through later no 100 percent. i think that's a lot of the appeal of these early records is you don't have a lot of the extra baggage you maybe get later on in any artist's career not just you two okay i did want to touch on there's two acoustic kind of ballad tracks on this record as well which kind of close out the a and b sides i was kind of mixed on them even coming back to them a few times here but i think the one that closes the record is between the two is is the strongest it's just simply entitled 40 i'm gonna play a little cut of it now softer side of the band on on that particular track did you guys have you guys heard that song before i know they I think they played a lot in their live shows from what i understand yeah that's uh that's kind of a a, a classic u2 songs uh, you know a, a deeper cut but uh um but yeah one that that gets played live pretty often it feels like bono is 
learning his voice, like where it can go uh, on this album. But that track in particular has those dynamics that he uses so much later, that low or down low and then soaring high thing done really well here. Another thing about early U2, I actually draw parallels to um, R.E.M.'s catalog. Uh, when, I, when I look at early U2 and early R.E.M., it's more about a sound, I think, than songs. So I just kind of, you know, like war just is a sound to me, just like R.E.M. murmur is kind of a sound to me. Uh, and then, you know, later, I, I think they get they become better songwriters and it becomes, you know, less about a, a, a particular sound. And I'm not sure which, you know, which approach is, is necessarily better. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I think the only thing I wanted to mention, too, was the album art, I think, is kind of interesting to me. Um Kind of going back to that idea of a young band kind of going through some growing up, I guess, kind of in real time and in front of our eyes here. We got the, the debut record, Boy, which I believe had the same model on the front of the album, kind of looking very innocent and boyish. And then on this album, he looks really disturbed and like, dude said he has like a cut on his face and you could tell he's he's seen some shit in the last <laughs> couple of years or something. I think it just perfectly sums up the kind of the attitude of this record and the band as a whole at the time. Not often the album cover really does capture the mood of a record, but I think in this case it makes a lot of sense in the context. All right, so that is War by U2. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty good. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. And now is the most cherished time on the show. It's a time when we ask ourselves a question. Do we have data that says that, that it is the most cherished part of the show? Yes, we do. <laughs> show me the analytics. I don't know. <laughs> I said it. Okay. The question today for us and for all of our listeners, arena rock or small club show? What's your preference? What's your poison, fellas? <laughs> so I guess if the choice was like seeing a band that I love at a big venue or a lesser known band at a smaller venue, I'd probably go for, still go for the smaller venue and take a chance on the quality of the performance just to have that more intimate experience, I guess, with not just the artist, but the crowd and just kind of a more chill environment. I think that's usually, usually my bag. And this is a good discussion to have now, too, as we're trying to resume normalcy here in the world. So uh, I bet a lot of people are thinking about this. Don, what about you? Yeah, I I would say for the most part, like my best concert experiences have probably been smaller venues. Um, there's just something about, you know, being part of a, a smaller group and a, a smaller shared experience or something. It just feels more special. There are some exceptions. I, I've seen Roger Waters several times. And I mean, they're just these giant extravaganzas you know just with the, the the sonic experience and the visual experience is is just really cool so you know i like that a lot and you you know you just can't do that uh in a club uh, but you know for the most part i i would agree i i would go with the the club experience i would choose for a big band amphitheater the outdoor lawn seating things and stuff but mm. i think those are the most fun because you you have an opportunity sometimes you get a little bored right even if it is <laughs> walk around it, a little bit uh, yeah you get to walk around and and see the the stage from different from different viewpoints and and i really i always enjoyed that but uh i mean ultimately my very favorite is a small club when nobody knows the band and it's me and a handful of my friends 
watching this group and the place is empty and you get to talk to the band after because you're the only ones there. And that w- those were my favorite experiences uh, when I was younger. Catch them on that tour right before they blow up. And like, yeah, I saw them 20 people and yeah, it's like, outside or something. yeah, I mean, I never mentioned it before, but uh, I had that experience with Jeff Buckley. Oh <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Album nerds, hit us up on the socials and uh, on Discord. Let us know what's your preference, arena rock or small club show. Feel free to tell us some stories, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, so we're going to fast forward now to basically present day. So the, the most recent U2 album uh, was called uh, Songs of Experience, came out in December uh, 2017. Uh, why don't we just go get right into it? Here's uh, You're the Best Thing About Me. So a little uh, background on this album. In 2014, when they were recording the the previous album called Songs of Innocence, it, it occurred to them that they, you know, that they had another album in them or they had more material in them. Uh, Songs of Innocence was supposed to be uh, about youth, like about the, the four of them uh, growing up. So I, I guess, you know, Bono had, you know, more ideas. And so these these songs of experience are meant to be kind of letters to experiences he's had in his life. You know, whether they're, you know, places or, or people. Uh, so they actually worked on this material really from that, that time in 2014, uh, until it finally came out in 2017. So, um, they were, they were touring. Um, and in, in 2016, they decided to revisit this material, uh, because of all the, the political things that were going on, like Brexit and our, uh, you know, presidential uh, election here in the States. Uh, so the album finally came out. Uh, in in 2017, uh, I'll just uh, I'll give you my my three words now. Uh, I just did uh, I did stuck in a moment <laughs> again. I, I think that's actually four words. In I guess it was 2000, the uh, All That You Can't Leave Behind album came out. It was a return to form for them uh, in some ways. So I feel like the albums that have come since are all kind of like that. You know, there's subtle differences, but I feel like they're kind of doing the the same album again and again. But I do like this album. It's enjoyable. So uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I um, I kind of agree with you. Yes, I think we did talk about All That You Can't Leave Behind long ago on a show. And it also, the timing there with, with September 11th, it was you 2 It felt like them raising morale, you know, with one of the things that they are capable of doing. And I think that's what they're trying to do here. I appreciate the effort that still goes in to their work. I mean, they think about it. They really want to provide something that's uplifting or thought-provoking. And that, that means a lot considering how long they've been around. They did employ new sounds here, more modern auto-tune, <laughs> eye roll. Um, Gaga. <laughs> yeah. There's some Gaga-esque moments, I would say. Yes. And, and, I, and I get it. They, they've successfully done that before. But, but yeah, you're right. They've all been a little more tame. And this is pleasant. Yeah. It's like uh, adult contemporary pop sort of sensibility, I would say, creeping in here. I don't know. I had a really hard time finding positive things in this record. For me, personally, it didn't really have any sort of weight or like gravitas with me. The things that they were saying, like they had all, a, lot of, a lot of political messages in this record, again, 
which I think is cool. But they felt like they were kind of just like forced into these songs. Didn't really have any sort of clear message other than we're upset about state of the world. So I, I didn't really get a lot of value or feel like they were really inspiring me or provoking me or anything like that. Yeah. I think part of it is the length. They don't need to make such long albums anymore at this point in their career, at the age that they're at. If they're trying to shift too much, I mean, there's a certain point at which you do what you do, you do it well, rather than than trying to shift everything. That that's a good point. I I do see it as kind of a safe album. It's tough. I mean, because U two is so big. You know, we talked about Elvis Costello uh, a few episodes ago. And, you know, of course, Elvis Costello is a legend, but he's not you too. And so I look at his career and I feel like he's not doing safe things. But in, in some ways, I don't think there's as much at stake. He has the freedom. Yeah. Yeah. You two has a reputation and they have those stadiums to fill. And, you know, they kind of have like a lot of momentum going around this whole brand they have. Uh, well, let's uh, l- let's listen to a couple of more tracks. Here's American Soul. Yeah, so you know, I guess trying to, to rock out a, a little bit there. Um, and that- <laughs> I, li- I like that. Yeah. I like that one. Oh my god! Are you joking me? Oh my god! I mean, it wasn't the best lyrically, but I liked the sounds. I thought that the the sounds were cool. I like the guitar and the vibe of the song, but wow, Andy has things <laughs> things to say. Yeah, Andy, do it. You, it. It looks like his head's about to explode, folks. You can't see it, but right, let's do it. Warm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I felt like that was the most pandering song on the whole record. Personally, I I didn't feel like they got any sense of what it was like to be American. And that that's the song that has a uh, Kendrick Lamar, Kendrick Lamar, yeah. like on it for about four seconds. Yeah. I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of that kind of summed up to me like this record in general. I just felt like there were too many just notions of ideas of things, almost like you're flipping through a magazine, just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this and we'll do that and we'll do this and we'll mix it all together and it'll be fantastic. And it's not how art works typically. You no, know, that's just like uh, your opinion. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's your opinion, man. God. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's do one more. Thirteen. There is a light. This was. This is actually. Basically, a, a reprise, a reprise of "Song for Someone," which occurred on "Songs of of Innocence." Um, so yeah, so here's uh, thirteen. There is the light. Yeah, so that's the the closer of the album, sort of that that soothing, positive message from Bono. I would just add, like, I did like that song. Oh, that was good. <laughs> what? That's <laughs> a shit over the whole thing. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm a little disappointed after the vicious takedown of you two. We've had uh, we've had some some good uh, hot take action here on the show lately, and then Andy, you, you dial it all back because you like the Huggy song. I think you've lost the listeners' respect. Let us know on Discord what you guys think. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, it's like each album is kind of like a career retrospective. So it's like, okay, we need one of our, our tracks that sounds a bit like this period. And we need, you know, here's one of our pop hits. Here's one of our dark songs. You know, The Cure have been doing that uh, a bit lately, which disappoints me. So I don't know. I mean, it must be, I, it, it's, I think it's hard to be that successful and to, you know, to, to still be an artist. I mean, I'd love to be in those shoes, but. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, though, if you two at some point decides, you know, like R.E.M. decided to hang it up just on their own accord, that they might decide that. And when they decide that, the album they come out with would be Blow This Fucker Up. 
Just do whatever. <laughs> just bl- let's blow the whole thing to hell and retire. That's what I would love to see them do some someday. I hope not too soon, but when they fe- when the time is right. They've kind of gone through this pattern, I guess, in their career. If you look back at it far enough away where they kind of do the same thing and then they just kind of blow it up for whatever reason and kind of create a new sound at times. We talked about a few of these records over the years that were really groundbreaking. Maybe they got a- another one or two of those on them. Be cool. Yeah. I mean, um, Bowie did that, you know, after he did his commercial period in the 80s, then it's like, you know, screw it. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to do art. I'm going to do whatever I want. And uh, yeah, and he, he kept going. And, you know, I guess he didn't really care about selling records or, you know, playing big shows, which he could still do anyway. But, um, okay. Well, anyway, so that's uh, that was Songs of Experience. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is Friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Hey there, music fans. Are you lonely? Oh, God. <laughs> Need someone to talk to? <laughs> Just call Album Nerds. 1-800. Go to the Album Nerds Discord. Yes. Join a like-minded group of music lovers who uh, you know, are just there to listen. And make you feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> you had to take it there. We talk about albums that we're into, some things that we don't love as much, share opinions, thoughts, talk about things besides music as well. Uh, it's a pretty fun group. I like hanging out there. You guys you guys enjoy the, the Discord? Yeah? Still into it? More into it than you know, Andy. I'm finally sitting at the cool table. That's right. <laughs> That's right. After all these years, we finally arrived. Yeah, yeah it's great to, to see someone throw a album recommendation of something you hadn't checked out yet. And, and sometimes you love it, sometimes you don't, but it's it, it's just so much fun and it's it, it's worth the effort to, to get in there and, and share. So please do it. Join us. Yeah. I've listened to a couple of cool things that I would never would have found otherwise. Thanks to the Album Nerds Discord. So you might find something cool for you. Albumnerds.com slash Discord. All right, so one, two, fourteen makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, my pick is going to be by a band called U2. This one is from 1991. It is called Achtung Baby. This was a big turn for U2. Uh, huge. Like I can't even describe to you what it did to people like myself that were Joshua Tree fans be like what in the hell is happening here so why don't we start off with a little bit of even better than the real thing i love what he was uh bono was doing with his voice the double track in there with the high and the low it's got this ethereal creepy kind of thing going on so this was the seventh studio album by u2 produced by daniel lenoir Brian Eno, who worked with them uh, on Joshua Tree and I assume was involved with Rattle and Hum. And, uh, this was released on November 18th, 1991, and it shifted directions completely to alternative rock, industrial music, electronic dance music, all kind of worked into their sound. Gentlemen, was this, better, was this even better than the real thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if I'd say this is better than Joshua Tree, personally, but I do think it's a pretty solid record overall it feels like they kind of for me growing up in the 90s this was kind of like how i pictured you two when i heard that a lot of these songs were the impression i had of them the videos that i had seen of, of them were like mostly from this album so i think of you two this is kind of what i think of 
very very sexy, very sleek, kind of mysterious. But there's still like that that kind of big pop sound to it, which is inherent to the band, it seems. Yeah. Um, well, people, I, I think, you know, if they're picking the two best or, you know, the best U2 albums, it's usually the Joshua Tree or this one. And I, I think I'd, I'd go with this one. I think this is this is my favorite. It could just be maybe I was, you know, I was a few years older. You know, it was kind of more my my time or, or something. I remember when, I mean, it, they had taken a couple of years off for a, like a week or so. MTV was, you know, promoting, Hey, you know, we've got a new U2 video coming. Um, and it was the, the fly. Um, and I just remember being like, wow, this is, this is U2. This is, you know, this is, this is so cool. And you got the, the distortion or whatever effect on his, his voice and stuff. And, um, I just, I may just because it was different or something. I, I really, uh, I, I really loved it. And, um, yeah, I think this is, this is a fantastic, fantastic album. Right, so I'll give my three words, biggest band world within the, before the world, uh, this, they were already huge with Joshua tree and, and previous albums war included, um, very successful, but this was like a different level of humongous where they had all that behind them, but they I think people were just amazed with the with the change and what they were artistically capable of of doing. Now I was resistant. I remember hearing um, "Mysterious Ways" first. That's probably the first song I remember hearing, and I was like, "Oh, it's so whiny. Who is this?" I didn't even know it was you too. Uh, this this song I'm gonna play next is the one <laughs> that started turning things around for me and, and made me give this a chance and go listen to it. So uh, listen to a bit of one. Yeah, so uh, that song about breaking apart and coming together, German reunification, relationships, I mean, whatever you want to pump into it, the, the reunification of Germany and, and the bringing down the Berlin wall that had to do with human relationships. And, and, uh, that's, I think what inspired a lot of this. I think they recorded this album partially in Germany. And that was sort of the undercurrent of what they were trying to capture with this album. It's darker as a whole, more introspective and more fun. I mean, it's about love and life and all those kind of things, but not about politics per se. What do you uh, What do you guys think about about songs like that that have a little bit more of the traditional U two feel, but they definitely still have something new. the The treatment of these songs or the the sonic differences are maybe overrated. Um, I mean, I just think it's a great suite of songs. And I, I think, you know, no matter if it was the Joshua tree or if it sounded like war, I just think these are all just, you know, well-written songs and, you know, they'll, they'll probably sound good no matter, no matter how you do it. So, I mean, songs like, like one and mysterious ways. And I mean, the, just the whole album is just full of just amazing, you know, catchy songs. I mean, the opener, Zoo Station, when the album opens, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah I wouldn't have thought it was you too, just by that opening cut. <laughs> That's some pretty, pretty weird effects. I love that. I, and my favorite song on, on uh, Joshua Tree was Bullet the Blue Sky. So hearing that kind of, that kind of uh, busted out guitar yeah. sound, I really, I enjoyed that as the opener. It's surprising to me, like, how, you know, like, iconic the Edge's guitar is, but... He really 
leans into some pretty out there effects on this record. I would say that like, it really, I you know, like I said, I couldn't really tell it was him or even guitar at times. I assume it, assume it was. So that's something to be said for being willing to able to just kind of throw your whole sound into the, you know up in the air and just reinvent yourself is pretty cool. Uh, and I mean, I guess this is, you know, I, I if U2 is going to keep going, I guess I want this to, to happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, I want them to yeah, kind right. of throw caution to the wind and just, you know, do something, uh, do something challenging. There's not a bad track on this, no. which is rare to say. And when we were getting ready for the show, I had other albums in mind and uh, started listening to this. And I'm like, I ended up listening to it like seven times in a row. Yeah. <laughs> And and I was like, I think maybe this is the one to to take to the show. Let's play a little bit of Acrobat. I what I first liked about this song was the "Don't Let the Bastards uh, Drag You Down." <laughs> when when I first was into this album, I just liked the that message of it. But there's some cool guitar stuff going on here, so let's check it out. Larry brings it. Adam, you can hear that bass in there. I just really love what they were doing instrumentally. They took that part of their sound to a whole different level in this on this album. And I think that's what makes it for me. It's, yeah, it's got like, oh, it's electronic. Look, we're trying distortion, blah, blah, blah. But the core of, of their sound was still there, but they stretched. And uh, they didn't take it easy on themselves. Even the electronics and like the extra percussion and stuff to have on this record like it doesn't feel like it's tied to the 90s at all it really feels like it could be any decade at, at which is odd because usually when you do those special effects like no offense but like when in um the 2017 record like a lot of those studio effects i feel like when we hear those 20 years from now we're gonna be like oh that's so 2010s or whatever like no one does that little chipmunk effect anymore or no one does that <laughs> whatever uh this record is yeah it is kind of timeless i would say they just freaking nailed it. I mean, they were like 30 years old. They had all this behind them, played at Live Aid, for God's sakes. Started in 1976, and then to, to turn this thing out is pretty freaking amazing. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I think this is their best album. I mean, it's tight. I love Joshua Tree, and it's beauty, and it's sparsity, but the guts here... I mean, it's close. Any day, I'll, my answer will be different. But right now, <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> it's Octang Baby. It's it's 12 tracks, 55 minutes. Go listen to it over and over again. It's amazing. You've forgotten how amazing it is. Trust me. Album nerds, what did we learn today? Yes, yes. What did we learn? You two is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty <laughs> Well said. I think that does it. I think that covers it for all of us. We got a couple more things to say. I'm willing to admit that I've had some great moments over the years and even some great records. I'm not going to consider myself a fan, but it's been fun digging into some of these I would probably wouldn't have listened to otherwise. So I always count on the podcast for that. I guess I had two points. Uh, just one thing that I, I think is amazing is. I mean, they've pretty much had the same lineup since they started recording. And for a, a band that's been around this long time, I, I can't think of other examples where there hasn't been some sort of lineup change. And I, I think they're a good example of, I guess, songs and creativity being more important than musicianship. 
probably none of them are like amazing musicians. You know, Edge isn't Stevie Ray Vaughan or, or something, but or, or Clapton. But um, I don't know. I mean, they just do interesting things and they and they make great songs. What I what I learned was go back to albums that you thought were really cool and listen again because sometimes they'll kick your ass as much as they did the first time around and 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 my pick did for me and and all the u2 albums really those those early days probably up through about zuropa there's something pretty awesome to find on on all of them having that willingness or maybe just that, that creative spirit to kind of reset rethink how to do the thing you've been doing for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years in their case is cool and that's definitely inspirational even if some of the music is not necessarily. Wow. I guess that's one to grow on. <laughs> Wheel of Musical Destiny. Destiny. That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't quite roll off the tongue. No, it? it doesn't. That was. Yeah. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls, it is time to uh, dig into that pot of gold and. See what the little leprechauns left us for the next show. Wu-Tang Clan. Album from any of the members of the Wu-Tang Clan. Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, what's your favorite U2 album? Who's your favorite member of the Wu-Tang Clan? Uh, To what else are you listening? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the show. Now I got to start digging into Wu-Tang. I don't think I've ever listened to a whole album by any Wu-Tang members. So this is going to be a busy week for Dude. Thanks for listening. (laughs) See ya. Bye, Felicia. (laughs) 